This morning we are continuing in our Lenten sermon series on the prophets of ancient Israel. Today we take a look at the prophet Jonah, who is one of the few prophets that many of us know something about, having learned about him in Sunday school. Of course, the fact that Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights is about the extent of what most of us know. But be very sure, the story of Jonah is not about a fish. It is about the God of mercy whose grace is often a scandal even to those who have received it. Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen and reigning Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The story of Jonah begins with God calling the prophet to go to the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was at one time the greatest city in the ancient Near East, and it became the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, one of the greatest enemies of Israel in the Old Testament. God tells Jonah to go and cry out against Nineveh because its wickedness has come to God's attention. Now, wicked is the same word the Bible used to describe the people of Sodom. And we all know how that turned out, as fire from heaven rained down and destroyed them all. So Nineveh was sort of a Sodom on steroids. There were few names that could strike fear and dread and hatred in the hearts of a Jewish person like the name Nineveh. And it's about the last place on earth any of them would ever want to go because as every Israelite knew, there was no such thing as a good Ninevite. Now, you know about Ninevites, don't you? They are the people in your life that you wish were not in your life. They're the ones who make your blood boil, who cause you to think ugly or violent thoughts, the people on whose heads you wouldn't mind if God rained down a little fire from heaven now and then. We all have Ninevites in our lives. We just know them by other names. Perhaps you know them as Republicans, or Democrats, or talking heads from that news station, or alumni from that university, or politicians, or road ragers, or teenagers. They might be your current employer, or your previous one. It might be your ex-spouse, or your mother-in-law, or your next-door neighbor, or your children. Yes, sometimes even our own homes can feel like Nineveh. 
nor love the story of the man who did not want to get out of bed to go to church one Sunday morning. His wife came in and said to him, come on, dear, you need to get up and get ready to go. The man said, I don't want to go to church. Those people are never very nice to me. I don't like them and, and they don't like me. I don't ever want to go back there again. And he pulled the sheets up over his head. His wife sighed and said to him, honey, there are two very important reasons why you need to get up and get ready. First, we are Christians. This is what we do. We go to worship God on Sunday with our church family. Second, you're the pastor. <laughs> Sometimes even the church can feel like Nineveh. And nobody wants to go to Nineveh, least of all Jonah. And so rather than obey God's call, Jonah decides to flee to Tarshish instead, which was about as far away from God and Nineveh as he could get. Now we don't actually know much about Tarshish. Some scholars think maybe it was a, a port city in southern Spain. The Old Testament tells us that King Solomon used to import to Israel from Tarshish things like gold and ivory, apes and peacocks. But mainly, Tarshish is just a fantasy, a sort of Shangri-La by the sea. It's a metaphor for wherever or whatever or whoever we think will solve all of our problems and make our lives turn out right. Many of us are still searching for Tarshish. That's why we work so hard. That's why we live in places like Mountain Brook with all the peacocks. You know, the pretty people and the pretty houses and the pretty things. Of course, by this point, most of us have realized that Tarshish is just a fantasy, and yet many of us still go through our lives chasing after that dream instead of seeking and accepting God's call on our lives, which is actually the thing that makes our lives turn out right. So Jonah hops on a ship headed for Tarshish, thinking that he can escape from God's call on his life. But the hound of heaven comes chasing after Jonah, and God sends a mighty storm upon their ship, putting the lives and the possessions of everyone on board in grave danger. Notice, our disobedience to God rarely comes with consequences for our own lives only. Now, our sin usually creates a lot of collateral damage for the people around us as well. But amazingly, in the midst of this raging storm, which 
is a metaphor, if I've ever heard one, for the church in America. Jonah is sound asleep below deck. And just like our nation that is being rocked to sleep by the raging storm of American culture or politics, Jonah is oblivious. So the captain comes below deck and wakes Jonah up and tries but fails to get him to call on his God. But then all the, the sailors cast lots to try to figure out who's responsible for this storm and the lot falls on Jonah. But after some debate and a futile attempt to try to get themselves back to shore, they finally and reluctantly take Jonah's own advice and they toss him into the sea. Sure enough, the storm immediately becomes calm and Jonah sinks down into the deep, plummeting to a watery grave, a fitting end to this disobedient prophet of the Lord. As the Apostle Paul reminds us, the wages of sin is death. But then, miraculously, as Jonah's life is slipping away, God sends a giant fish to come and snap Jonah up in its mouth. And for the next three days and nights, Jonah is held there in the belly of the fish. And it is only then, trapped inside this fish, unable to run, unable to hide, his life suddenly on hold and out of his control, that Jonah finally begins to pray. Now, sometimes in our lives it takes something dramatic to wake us up and turn our attention back to God. Maybe it's because we're all so busy trying to find Tarshish. Or maybe it's because we're afraid of what God might be trying to say to us about our lives, or our relationships, or our priorities, or our purpose in life. And so we distract ourselves with other things that lull us to sleep to God's voice in our lives. But then, one day, something stops you dead in your tracks. You lose your job, or your marriage, or someone dearly beloved to you. You have a heart attack, or a stroke, or you're diagnosed with cancer. You go into the hospital for a routine checkup with your doctor, and you end up staying for weeks on end. You miss an extremely important flight and you're just stuck there in the airport with nowhere to go, completely helpless. It's like being stuck in the belly of the fish. Your life suddenly on hold and out of your control. Now to be sure, I don't believe that, that God causes these kinds of things to happen in our lives, but. As the story makes clear, these types of events always play a very important role in our spiritual lives. For whenever we are stuck in the belly of the fish, it is always a call to prayer. 
After three days and nights in that tomb-like place, Jonah finally starts praying to God, and he offers God a psalm of praise and thanksgiving for delivering him from certain death. And it is only then that the fish spits Jonah out onto dry land, alive and well once again, having gone from death to new life, a sinner saved by grace alone. Of course, God doesn't save us so we can just bask in our own salvation or, or go back to business as usual. No, God always saves us for a purpose. And every one of us here has been saved and brought to this place and adopted into this family so that we might participate in Christ's mission to heal and save this lost and broken world, including our Ninevites. So God calls Jonah for the second time to go to Nineveh. But now Jonah is finished running and he's ready to obey. So Jonah goes to Nineveh and begins walking through the city crying out, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And miraculously, the Ninevites listen to Jonah. They believe God and they repent from their wicked ways, from the least among them to the greatest. And rather than destroying them as God had intended on doing, God chooses to have compassion and mercy on them instead. And Jonah is beside himself. And he says to God, I knew it. I knew it. This is why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. I knew you would do something like this. This is so like you. So just kill me now. For it's better for me to die than to live. Whereas my son James used to say when he was little, this is the worst day ever. Isn't that amazing? I mean, here is Jonah, the most wildly successful prophet in history, having brought about the repentance of the most wicked city on earth, and he is furious. In fact, he doesn't even want to live in a kind of world where that thing might happen. Turns out, Jonah wasn't fleeing to Tarshish because he was afraid of God or the Ninevites. No, Jonah was fleeing because he knew how gracious and merciful God is. And the last thing Jonah wanted was for that grace and mercy to be extended to the Ninevites. Because that's not the way things are supposed to work. There's supposed to be justice in this world, isn't there? And those Ninevites didn't deserve mercy. They deserve to be destroyed for their wicked ways. And yet, 
Wasn't it Jonah himself who had just been the recipient of God's undeserved grace and mercy, having been given new life when he should have been left to die? But even for those who have received it in such abundance, God's grace is often scandalous. Of course, we're really not so different from Jonah, are we? I mean, in Jesus Christ, we too have encountered the God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Every one of us here is a sinner saved by grace alone. And yet we too tend to have such a hard time extending that same grace to the Ninevites in our lives. And it really bothers us that, that God might not treat them according to their actions, that they might not get what they deserve. But be very sure, when it comes to God, the last thing any of us want is what we deserve. What we deserve is judgment. But thanks be to God that in Jesus Christ we have been given grace and mercy and steadfast love instead of what we deserve. You know, I find it fascinating that the story of Jonah is left unfinished. It ends with God questioning the legitimacy of Jonah's anger and pleading with Jonah on behalf of the city of Nineveh, which was filled with over 120,000 ignorant people who did not know their spiritual right hand from their left, and yet whom God had created in his own image and dearly loved. We don't know how Jonah responds. Much like in the parable of the prodigal son, when the father goes out and pleads with the older brother on behalf of the younger, the elder son's final response is not included in the story. Instead, we who have been the recipients of God's outrageous mercy and grace are left to complete the story ourselves in our own lives. So how does Jonah's story end? Does he remain bitter and angry, unaware of his own hypocrisy? Or overwhelmed with gratitude for the grace that he has received? Does he learn to see his enemies through the eyes of the one who created them? The gracious and merciful God revealed to us in Jesus Christ, the innocent one who died in our place so that you and I might live. The answer is up to you. 
Amen.